This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Thank you for joining us for a new episode of Pantsuit Politics, where we take a different approach to the news. Today, we are just going to process a big, complex week of world and domestic news. We're going to talk a little bit more about what's happening in Israel and the response to the October 7th attack. We will discuss the small matter of needing a Speaker of the House of Representatives so that Congress can function at all. And then we'll talk a little bit about comings, goings, changes in the presidential primaries. Outside of politics, we are going to share a little with you about our fall breaks. This week has been a particularly great time to be a member in our premium community. We've been trying to use that space to continue to cover the terrorist attacks in Israel. I have been covering the updates on the situation on my show, Good Morning, and Beth has shared a refreshed primer on how we got to the situation on her show, More to Say. We hope our premium content is always useful to you, and this week is no exception. We'd love for you to join us there if you haven't already, and you can find more information about doing that in the show notes. Next up, we will discuss updates on Israel and Israel's response to the Hamas terrorist attack. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I hope you guys don't mind to time travel back with me about a year. I was in the process of resigning myself to the idea that part of middle age for me might mean that my hair was going to slowly turn to straw and fall out of my head. Drama aside, we all know that your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. I have tried other custom beauty products and just found that they kind of make my hair worse. But ever since I switched to a custom hair routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair, yes, but beyond that too. I feel like I don't have to blow dry my hair anymore in order for it to look good because it's stronger, fuller, softer, and just looks nicer. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. My custom shampoo and conditioner, for example, were formulated to improve the smoothness and volume of my hair. And I really see, after months of using my custom formula and tweaking it with the review and refine tool for this season, that I have nice-looking hair all year long. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash pantsuit. So go get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash pantsuit. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash pantsuit. Traditionally, financial planning advice is either only for those who are already wealthy or salespeople calling themselves financial advisors who say they'll give you free financial advice but really just sell products to earn commissions. 
Fearless Finance takes a dramatic departure from either of those traditional models. Their entire business is built on making financial advice accessible and affordable because we know that financial literacy, stress reduction, and financial security are critical to overall well-being. I'm a little bit obsessed with Elizabeth, our Fearless Finance Advisor. I've had an array of advisors in the past who answered questions like, should we be spending less on this with evasive answers like, it depends on your priorities. Not Elizabeth. She answers with actually helpful guidelines. You're spending more than the average family of five, or I'd like to see this increase by 6%. Uh, thank you. This is Fearless Finance's mission, to make advice affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually and they charge you by the hour. You only pay for the time you use down to a quarter hour. Their planners meet with you where you are on your financial journey, no judgment. Visit fearlessfinance.com today. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit and you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use the code pantsuit. That's fearlessfinance.com and use code pantsuit for $50 off your first planning meeting. recording on Thursday, October 12th in the morning. As we sit down to record, the latest news from Israel concerns the formation of a unity government. And I think that that's worth spending some time on. It's a reminder to me, one, that Israel's system is very different than the U.S. system. And that's something that we return to every time that we talk about Israel. So just the possibility of forming a unity government is really interesting to me. But secondly, I think it underscores the level of threat and the level of need created in Israel by this confluence of circumstances where you have Prime Minister Netanyahu embroiled in both personal scandal, political scandal, and now the concern that on his watch, an attack like this was able to happen. And in the face of that, instead of taking advantage of the moment, An opposition leader said, I will stand with you and we will govern together so that all of the people we are calling up to serve in this moment have confidence in their leadership. I did think it was interesting. It took so long. It took a long time to negotiate this unity government agreement. I mean, a long time in the sort of perspective we have sort of post 9-11 and the unity that surrounded the country when we were attacked on this scale. I think it speaks, like I said, the sort of constant, consistent criticism still flowing from Israelis towards Netanyahu that this unity government was formed, but that it took almost a week to reach some sort of agreement between the parties about what that unity government will look like, because the terror from this attack does not erase the distrust that I'm sure this opposing party feels towards Netanyahu. He is slippery, and I don't think that's going to stop I think he probably feels even more threatened because of this criticism, because of this act that will mark his tenure forever. And so I'm not surprised that the unity government was ultimately formed, but I am a little surprised it took so long. So as this unity government was formed, we keep hearing very strong statements from Netanyahu that the goal now is to eradicate Hamas. Now, I think that's an unrealistic goal, but I understand the sentiment to be Israel will hold nothing back as it goes into what looks increasingly to be a ground incursion into Gaza. And just for reference, I think it's helpful to remember 
the entire Gaza Strip is about the size of Detroit, Michigan. We're talking about a very small area, again, where two million-ish people are basically trapped and cannot go anywhere. And so when you think about the devastation that will accompany that, it's just horror after horror here in the wake of what happened on Saturday. Yeah, the suffering in the Gaza Strip right now, I think, is hard to contemplate. Because when you look at the photos, it's not that it's just a small place. It's that it's so dense. Mm -hmm. It's so, so dense. And I heard the most heartbreaking interview on NPR this morning where this Palestinian man was like, we are human, too. We are human, too. And we feel abandoned because they're just moving from place to place, hoping to find some place of safety. There's been multiple reports that previously during these attacks, the U.N. schools were considered safe. But those have also been hit in this last few days. And so there is just no safe place. There is no exit. There are discussions now between Egypt and the United States to set up some sort of exit for other nations, citizens, for other nationals. But that's no relief to the Palestinian people. And so this attack, unlike any they've experienced, when you are shocking the people of the Gaza Strip, that speaks to something. That speaks to a real escalation, which again, comes after the escalation, like we talked about with Carrie, the the cruelty, the terror that came on October 7th was like nothing that the Israeli people had experienced before. And we're learning more and more about that. These kibbutzes that they are now entering and finding people gunned down at bus stops, babies murdered, people kidnapped. Like, it's just so heinous. And the suffering with the Israelis who have still family members that have been kidnapped. They're Americans that are still being held captive. Like, it's so heinous. I've been thinking a lot about that sense of abandonment for the people of Gaza, which is very real in layers. And the most present layer right now is that they have been abandoned by Hamas, which is supposed to function as a political party running their government, and decided instead to be a terrorist organization instead of a protector and a stability provider and caretaker, which is what governments are supposed to to be on some basic fundamental human level. I've been thinking about that and about these images and the details that emerge of what Hamas terrorists did on Saturday and how you get to a place where you're capable of that just as as a person. And all I can understand as we get these details about what they did so personally at total random on Saturday to just bring about as much destruction as possible is just a level of hatred that I don't know. Like, I don't know what that would feel like in my body and mind to see someone as so heinous and so less than human that this would be justified to me. How am I, as a person who grew up with, you know, all the gifts of a modern American life, public school, medical care, electricity, running water, a sense of security and safety, always, how could I possibly comprehend what it would be like to grow up under constant threat, constant surveillance? And look, that's true for many Israelis, too, this sense of Someone across the border wants me to cease to exist. They're close. They don't see me as human, and they want me to cease to exist. 
I just think that's very difficult to comprehend if you've not lived it. But the truth is that's a lot of human existence. That's why we lived in so much violence. It's not a unique space that humans occupy where they feel disdain and hatred and they want to eliminate, not just harm, not just contain, not just fight back, eliminate other human beings. That's a new development in human history for the most part. And we are capable, as most of human history shows, of immense violence, immense cruelty, immense suffering when we're in that space. I can't even comprehend the experience of my Jewish friends here in the United States. I got so choked up yesterday reading about the meeting that President Biden had with Jewish leaders at the White House because it included one of those Jewish leaders saying, it's not lost on us as we're here that during World War II, when Jewish leaders requested a meeting with President Roosevelt, they were turned away from the White House. That opened the floodgates of emotion that I have kind of been containing through all this for me because I was just thinking about what it must be like to live here in America, but still with all of the past in your body and to endure casual anti-Semitism everywhere all the time that, that carries this sense that you actually have all the power in the world. Mm. When during the Holocaust, your people were turned away from the White House, even as America was trying to to fight a war to end some of that suffering. I mean, it just, I don't know. It has just all engulfed me this week in terms of like the lack of perspective that I'm able to have on what's unfolding here. The one thing I want to say before we move on from this, not to center American politics, but we are going to turn to American politics, I really want to applaud the way that President Biden and his administration have responded to this event. There is no good way, Mm -hmm. but he has been as clear and thoughtful and just devoted to it as I think a person can be. If you read the TikToks on how he has spent his time Since he first was alerted to this happening on Saturday, it's impressive and it's diligent. And I think it's the best that we could ask from our commander in chief. It reminds me of his approach to Ukraine from his visit forward. Like, this is a man who is devoted and believes in American leadership in the world. And it is abundantly clear from how he behaves during these foreign policy crises. And look, I can hear, I can hear the chorus saying, what about the withdrawal of Afghanistan? And I would argue that you can see some of that same diligence. You might not agree with the decision making. Like you might not agree with the fallout. And I imagine he learned an enormous amount from that moment early in his presidency. But it's still just to me this, this devotion of like what we do matters. We cannot stay here forever. Like you just see our impact on the world matters. Our decision-making at every spot matters, from his focus on building relationships in Asia and Australia and Japan, just all of it. Like, you just see the enormity and the gravitas and the prioritization of our standing on the world stage. Well, and I'm not an expert in foreign policy, but the thread that I would use to connect the approaches to those events, and, and, you know, I've been a critic about the withdrawal from Afghanistan, the thread that I see is his sense that American leadership matters in the world very much, that diplomacy is a top priority, everything you just said, plus 
he seems to have a real clarity that we are willing to be allies through our money and our technology and our know-how, but that we are going to be very reluctant to put American lives on the ground and at risk in conflicts that are not primarily ours. And I think that that reflects a long career of him looking for kind of where is the public on this. And I think that that is kind of where the public might coalesce if we all had to sit down and have a serious conversation about our approach to these things. I think most people believe, yes, America has a role to play in the world, and we are tired of sending our people everywhere. And we have seen that sending our people everywhere has a lot of risk and consequence for us, too. So we're going to take a quick break and come back and turn to the American political system, that uh, tiny matter that we still need a Speaker of the House, and some updates on our uh, presidential primary as well. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. We use our phones for everything at this point, but did you know that you can use it for some sexy me time? Don't worry, your fantasies are safe with Dipsy. Just don't forget to use your headphones. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library, a fantasy series with vampires, Greek gods, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy written stories to read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time. Explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or even heat things up with a partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. My son Oliver is almost two. The desire for more hours in the day has never been more real for me in my life. An extra hour for reading, for sleeping, for working, for playing, I could use any of it. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and to then make it a priority. Therapy can help you figure that out, help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. Just last week, my mom actually asked me about my experience with BetterHelp after hearing ads like this one for it. And I'm telling you what I told her. BetterHelp was the perfect solution for me in a time of my life when I had too many plates to juggle, but still very much needed to talk to someone about the experience of keeping all those plates in the air. BetterHelp made therapy easy and accessible right when those were qualities I needed most. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You just fill out a very brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. 
Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. How do you think Steve Scalise is feeling as we're recording this Thursday morning? I don't know, Steve Scalise. I don't think we'd be fast friends. But if I was Steve Scalise, I would think I took a bullet for you freaking people. And I can't get more than a bare majority in the behind the scenes vote. How the hell am I going to cinch the speaker on the floor? That's what I would think. So the Republican conference in a closed door meeting I would like to compliment the Republican conference for a second. I like that they took everybody's cell phones as they went into this closed door meeting. (laughs) I am for more places where we take everyone's cell phones. I just think we're at a place in human history where we have to realize this is not about your personal maturity. It is about the fact that these are addictive devices that steal our attention away from the matters in front of us. So I love that they took everybody's cell phones. So the Republican conference met without their cell phones. They hashed it out. They heard from speakers. I like that you're like, no dress codes, but I am going to take your cell phone. Yes, that's how I feel about (laughs) it. That's how I feel. You be you. I am for your individuality and personal expression, but I am tired of our attention being stolen from us. I'm going to need that cell phone. (sighs) So they, they meet and they vote. And Steve Scalise prevails over Jim Jordan in the vote. Just barely. But just barely. Mm-hmm. And not anywhere close to the number of votes that he needs to get elected speaker on the House floor. And so Republicans have not put that vote to the House floor yet. Patrick McHenry is still in the interim speakership role where he can do nothing except bring them back to vote on a new speaker. And I just think it cannot be stressed enough that that means the House of Representatives cannot do anything, nothing right now. With (sighs) government funding coming up, with this situation in Israel, with the situation in Ukraine, with the situation that we got a lot of important foreign policy things happening and a ton of ambassadors that need to be confirmed and a ton of military promotions that have been held up forever by Tommy Tuberville, I stopped myself from inserting an adjective in front of that. So it's just, it is a mess. They have got to get somebody in that post so that Congress can even do the bare minimum. I mean, they weren't doing a lot before, just for the record. But they could do something. They could do I a thing. I see my expectations so low with this lot who wants to pretend that, I don't know, Joe Biden should do what they want and that he's not the president and that he's not a Democrat. Like, that's definitely some of their negotiating when it came to the funding and the budget. It's like, but we want this, and we don't care that there's a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president. Like, let's just pretend that y'all aren't there, which is an interesting legislative strategy. So in case you thought I was being hyperbolic, Steve Scalise, like, literally did take a bullet during a mass shooting at a congressional baseball game. He's also currently being treated. He has blood cancer right blood now. Blood cancer? Yes. I just want to be like, Steve, is this, is this what you want to do? Is this what you want to do with your one wild and precious life? I felt the same way about Kevin McCarthy. I don't like either of these men. But I guess somebody's got to do it. It is concerning. The Freedom Caucus just keeps growing more powerful. And I think, I do wonder, I wonder, is that it? Are they growing more powerful or is there just a lack of real 
leadership coming from the, you know, quote-unquote Republican establishment? Like, could the right person gather this group together? But I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it's like a lack of leadership under the Republican establishment. I mean, Steve Scalise claims he's going to be like a uniter, but I mean, like he barely ate through and it's like the territories are voting. They don't even vote on the floor, like in this caucus meeting. So I don't know. I think that the Freedom Caucus has gotten a taste of power. It's not just the the Freedom Caucus. You know, I think we we talk about the Freedom Caucus, especially when you're talking about Jim Jordan, who's who ran against Steve Scalise. And you think back to, like, the Tea Party. But the truth is, it's not just that their power's grown. It's that their numbers have grown. And their thirst for, like, chaos and their devotion to Donald Trump, Donald Trump's own power within the party, just continues to grow. Nobody's touching him in the primary. It's just a very depressing state of the Republican Party, which is not a party I have a lot of warm feelings about. I've been a Democrat since I was 18 years old. I've said this before, like, it's a weird spot to have spent most of your adult life being like, I wish everybody could just see them for how bankrupt and inept they are. And now they're bankrupt and inept. And I'm like, oh, man, this is sad to watch. It's weird. It's a weird place I'm in. I was reading this Politico piece about Paul Ryan and Mitt Romney convening lots of wealthy Republican donors to try to get people to coalesce around someone who's not named Donald Trump in the Republican primary. And Godspeed on that journey. I'm, I'm for it. It was interesting to me that Paul Ryan was quoted in this piece as like partially diagnosing the affliction of the Republican Party as being built around a cult of personality. And I thought there's something true in that. Like if I think about the fragmentation of Democrats, it is ideological fragmentation. There are true groups that view the world differently or not even view the world differently, but view that what the policy should be in response to yeah. the world differently in the Democratic Party. And on the Republican side, what made me think about this is you saying the Freedom Caucus, I'm not even sure what the ideological commitment needs to be to be a part of the Freedom Caucus anymore. When the group of people who ousted Kevin McCarthy is in a place that doesn't include Thomas Massey, in a place that that didn't even include Jim Jordan, right? Jim Jordan spoke for McCarthy. Jim Jordan has now offered to speak for Steve Scalise, right? It's, it's something entirely different is going on. And I think that the cult of personality is the genesis of that. But the problem is the cult of personality became so successful that now everybody wants to replicate their own version of it. And that's unmanageable because there is nothing to coalesce around except me, me, me. So you see this in things like what Matt Gates does. You see it in how Nancy Mace is like trying a new strategy every day to keep herself in the news. That's about Nancy Mace, not about a principal and not about South Carolina voters. Everybody now wants to have whatever percentage they can carve off who will be with them no matter what, because it's them, not because of an idea that they're carrying forward. I guess it's like the MAGA caucus. It is that complete inability to actually follow leadership. Jim Jordan said, I'll support Scalise, and half the people that voted for him said, I don't think so. It would be interesting to get like, Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi in a room and say, hey, what's going on with these Republicans who won't follow any sort of party leadership? What do you think happened? <laughs> what, what's broken inside of them? Is it just Donald Trump and that, that style of politics that is successful inside 
the Republican base is a complete and total disregard for any sort of hierarchy, like the breaking of the rules is the point. Is that what it is? Is like that's the politics, that's what we're devoted to? Because there's no, like you said, there's no policy disagreement. There's no like anything like that with Steve Scalise. I don't even know. I don't even know why Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was like very devoted to Kevin McCarthy, won't vote for Steve Scalise. Why? Like, how come? I don't understand. So, I mean, I think you're right. I don't think it's it's definitely not policy. And I do think it is new to see so many party representatives just refuse to follow any party leadership. Maybe that's it. Maybe they feel no real loyalty to the Republican Party because they're following Donald Trump. And guess who else feels no loyalty to the Republican Party? Donald Trump. They don't feel loyalty to Donald Trump anymore. Donald Trump told them all to make Jim Jordan the speaker. And he didn't get nominated. So the cult of personality has broken to some extent. But instead of breaking like a fever where we go back to the old way, it has spawned this new approach, I think, that is not party first. It's not Trump first. It's just me first. How Mm -hmm. many of us can be me first? It's so interesting, though, because... There seems to be some sort of organization among this group. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you have like Chip Roy, who does seem to have like demands, I guess. But Matt Gates is supporting Steve Scalise. I don't I don't understand it. I really don't understand it, except for I think that they don't want there to be a federal government, which is an interesting position to be in as a House of Representative member. Like, I don't know. I mean, I think the best term is probably the chaos caucus, but because that's what you get when everybody's just out for themselves. I thought it was true to hear Don Bacon say, apparently these folks want to be in the minority. I think that's right. I think that's what they want to be. I actually (laughs) did think that. I'm like, oh, they just want to be a permanent, loud minority. That's what they want. They want to just gum up the works without ever actually leading. And you know what? Better for America. Let's do it. Just be the minority. I think that's great. This is the moment. You remember how Jon Stewart used to be like, meet me at camera three when he was doing The Daily Show? Mm -hmm. I wish that I had like a similar, I don't know, meet me at speaker three to the Problem Solvers Caucus. This is the moment then to say, fine, you want to be in the minority. Cool. We're going to work with the Democrats and we're going to elect a speaker of the House. And you can be angry and fundraise and go on podcasts and sound off on it all you want to. But we're going to be over here now governing. Yep. The numbers are available to do it. I I wish that the people who are inclined to think responsibly at all would be as bold in their pursuit of responsible governance as their colleagues are in their pursuit of chaos. That's all it would require. I don't know. You just got to be careful because then you get more and more members of the problem-solving caucus or just more and more members who aren't lunatics. I mean, I don't don't mean to be ugly, but lunatics, Um, getting primaried, and then you just got more lunatics. So it is a lot, and you got to walk. Yeah, I also think, though, that we have seen the same strategy for a number of years now about walking that line, and it isn't working. But isn't it? Because the caucus is growing. The Chaos Caucus is growing. So isn't it working? That is my definition of it's not working, that the Chaos Caucus is growing, that trying to walk the line of establishment chaotic Trump base has only proliferated the unmanageability of the situation. That's true. Well, I mean, to me, honestly, and I I don't 
know if this is realistic because when you you have this sort of capture of the state parties where Mitt Romney's getting booed and, you know, at their conferences. Because the truth is, like, it will take movement from state leadership to say, we're going to draw the lines different. We can't have any more of this. It's too much. But, like, what's the investment of a state speaker of the House in the malfunctioning of a House of Representative Republican caucus? I don't know. I don't know, right? I, mean, I think that's there. You, That's how you get a Rusty Bauer standing up before the January 6th committee and saying, enough is enough. But then he lost. So I don't know. I mean, because the primarying isn't just about the policies or the leadership or the Republican establishment in the House of Representatives. The primarying is also about the decisions made by the state party leadership that has been mostly captured by this chaotic right. caucus. So, I mean, I think that's the that's the real problem. Just figuring out the real problem is a challenge because there are so many problems here. Well, let's talk about the presidential election for a minute. We've had some developments. I don't know how consequential any of them are, but they are developments. Thing number one, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has decided not to run as a Democrat. In fact, he will mount an independent bid for the presidency. Sounds great. Trump's big mad because he pulls and hurts Trump more, which I think sounds right to me. That sounds right to me. When somebody's like, he hurts Trump more than he hurts Biden. I go, yeah, that tracks. My favorite detail of this is that he had already been invited to talk at CPAC and accepted the invitation. And now everybody in Republican world is big mad at him because they wanted him to come as a Democrat to trash Democrats at CPAC. So this is going to be very fascinating to watch. There are lots of little skirmishes that are going to be brought up by this that I think will be entertaining. And also, you know, his siblings all put out a statement that were like, don't do it. Yeah. He's lost the plot. Yeah. When your siblings come out against you, wasn't that Andy Biggs in Arizona that his siblings came out? I just can't imagine what that's like, especially in a family like the Kennedys. It's not like you're just like siblings that grew up in middle America. You're siblings that have survived so much trauma and tragedy together. And you have to be like, that's enough, dude. That's hard. It is hard. I keep looking at the speaker situation and thinking, this is so embarrassing. That is like the overwhelming word that comes to me when I watch this. But then I think a lot of those people aren't embarrassed. Like, they're not capable of embarrassment. That's just not a thing for them anymore. The Kennedys, though, this is embarrassing. Yep. And I think that that probably sinks in in a deep and complex way that I can't fully appreciate. Okay, we also have a new entrant to the Democratic primary. Sank Uyghur of the Young Turks has said that he is going to run for president. Small problem. He is not constitutionally eligible to run for president. But nevertheless, he says that he is entering the, the field. I don't understand that. I mean, he'd have to get like a ruling from the Supreme Court. Does it strike you as a Supreme Court that's going to be friendly to this type of argument? It does not. The Young Turks aren't my cup of tea. I don't know how to say it any nicer. I think that's a good summary. Okay. Also <laughs> on the Republican side, Will Hurd has officially dropped his bid for the nomination and endorsed Nikki Haley. I mean, it just seems to me post two debates, Nikki Haley is the one to watch. I don't think she's going to beat Donald Trump, but it does seem to be the the coalescing that's happening. Maybe Tim Scott right behind her. Do you see that statement he put out about Israel? I have tried so hard to be gracious about Tim Scott, and I 
we'll just not speak about him anymore because I think that is so reprehensible. Ridiculous. So reprehensible to blame Joe Biden for what happened in Israel. For a terrorist attack. Get out of here. I don't know if that is more ignorance or cynicism, but whatever combination of the two produced that is despicable to me. From a sitting United States senator, no. Mm -hmm. I will say this. I don't think there's a lot of love lost between Nikki Haley and Tim Scott, and I bet you at the next primary debate, she brings that up. I bet she does. I bet she does. And I bet it will land, because she can land a punch. That's what she's shown. Especially in foreign policy. She's done really good about that. And look, I think this is another testament to the fact that Will Hurd is a reasonable, logical person who cares about the country. He dropped out because he didn't make the first two debates, sees the writing on the wall, sees that Nikki is the person to beat, and is probably trying to do a Pete Buttigieg here, gracefully bow out quickly so that everybody else will follow, so that there's some chance of everybody coming together behind her to take on Trump one-on-one. That is what needs to happen. And the problem is, I don't think the rest of the field is as principled as Will Hurd is. No, I don't think that's going to happen. I would like to believe that the lack of seriousness surrounding Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the Hamas terrorist attack on Israel and, you know, as we previously discussed, President Biden's really impeccable handling of both of these situations, particularly in contrast to Donald Trump's recent statements praising Hezbollah, which was a real choice, you know, that sense that the world is in trouble. And, you know, what really upsets me is it's just some of this it sort of feels like, wow, things have gotten really bad. And I want to be like, boy, I wonder if, if any of it's related to the dramatic turn Donald Trump took our foreign policy on. Like some of this is like the natural consequences when the American president stands up and says, if the bad guys aren't charged, what's the big deal? I hope all that that contrast is so plain for people that even Republican voters, I know this is a long shot. Even the Republican base would look for someone with more gravitas on the world stage. But I know as I say those words, that's not going to happen. But sometimes I just like to try to manifest as best I can. I think Republican voters want that. I don't know that the Republican primary voter wants it. Yeah. This is the problem. Like, every time I think, well, here's what would make sense given what's happened, I run into a structural barrier. And the structural barrier in this whole presidential cycle is just that our primaries are inadequate to represent the will of the people who are going to turn out to vote in the general election. And other than asking lots more people to vote in those primaries, I don't know what to do about it. Yeah, that's what I keep thinking. Maybe it's just time for people to go back to the Republican Party and try to save it from itself. I think that's right. I mean, that's my plan to, you know, I just I think voting in the Republican primary is the thing to do this time. Yeah. During the almost government shutdown, we were kind of busting on my stepdaddy's Republican. He's like, you want me to leave or you want me to stay so I can vote in the primary? And we're like, JK, you stay. That's right. (laughs) JK, stay. We will continue, I'm sure, to visit with the presidential primary now and then. We will certainly continue to watch what happens in the speaker's race. And, of course, our hearts and minds are with everyone who is suffering as a result of Hamas's actions on October 7th and everything that will follow. We always try to end the show with what's on our minds outside of politics. So that's up next. 
Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Traditionally, the advice would be pick one. But thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ugh, ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka bra plum. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. That's code PODCAST15. I hope you guys don't mind to time travel back with me about a year. I was in the process of resigning myself to the idea that part of middle age for me might mean that my hair was going to slowly turn to straw and fall out of my head. Drama aside, we all know that your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. I have tried other custom beauty products and just found that they kind of made my hair worse. But ever since I switched to a custom hair routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair, yes, but beyond that too. I feel like I don't have to blow dry my hair anymore in order for it to look good because it's stronger, fuller, softer, and just looks nicer. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. My custom shampoo and conditioner, for example, were formulated to improve the smoothness and volume of my hair. And I really see after months of using my custom formula and tweaking it with the review and refine tool for this season that I have nice looking hair all year long. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash pantsuit. So go get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash pantsuit. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash pantsuit. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Sarah, rudely, my school district has a much shorter fall break than yours does. I don't know why it doesn't love you. I want it to love you. I want it to care for you. I want you to have a full week for fall break. I didn't even have a full week. I had a full week and then the Monday after because it was Indigenous People's Day. So we were on fall break for like 10 days. And you had to run to California and back in like three. It's just unacceptable. I'm going to put myself on your calendar committee. My school district does a lot of things really, really well, but the calendar is not one it's of not them. Okay. So we were off Friday and Monday, but you were gone 
the whole week before enjoying lovely national parks in California. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, we went to Yosemite. One of our listeners commented, Yosemite was the first national park I visited. And I was like, oh, no. Like, don't do that, guys. Don't make this the first one you go to. It will ruin you for all other national parks. It is maybe the most beautiful place I have ever been. And I've been to almost half the national parks and almost all of Europe and parts of Africa. I've been a lot of places is what I'm trying to say. Yosemite is spectacular, just spectacular. And we were really lucky because so much of Yosemite is the waterfalls. Usually the waterfalls are done running by like August. It was raining the first few days we were there. And I think some of this is like the snowpack from the massive storms they had in the winter. And they were all running. And it's just, it's it's such a magical place. The beauty the landscaping is nothing short of magical. You know why, like, they got, I have, we haven't been to Yellowstone yet, but you know why Yosemite was like, I think it's like the second national park. They got there and were like, oh, this place, this place needs protecting. It's, I can't, I can't say enough. And we stayed in the Yosemite Valley Lodge, so we were on the floor, so we weren't driving in and out every day. Um, it wasn't crowded. The weather was beautiful. We loved it. Cannot recommend Yosemite highly enough. Like, and that's like when I said, like, oh, read Barbara King Solver. Well, yeah, duh. Because, you know, like, it's, I know it's like the gem of the national park system, but it's incredible. When you say the weather was lovely, what what kind of temperatures are we talking about? You know what kind of temperatures I'm talking about, Beth? 48 degrees, peak temp. It's a little chilly. It's just a little chilly. So you can hike and keep your coat on. It was great. It was like cool. It rained, like, it rained from maybe the first few days on and off. But it was sunny a lot of the time. We could see El Cap. Like, it was just so good. Have you ever seen Free Solo about the guy who climbed El Cap with no ropes? I have not. You should see it. We watched it our last day in L.A. Because Nicholas has seen it, like, four times. He's obsessed with it. El Cap is, like, 3,000 feet high. It's a beast. Like, you can't, like, when you're in the car, you're, like, ducking. You have to, like, kind of, like, stick yourself under the windshield and the dashboard just to see the top. It's so tall. And he climbed it without ropes. It's insane. It's such a good—you should watch it with your girls. We watched it with all the boys. It's so, so fun to watch. I mean, tell everybody up front he lived. And still doesn't even matter. You're still, like, a nervous wreck. But it's so good. So you drove to San Francisco and flew to Southern California. No, we didn't drive to San Francisco. We flew to San Francisco. (laughs) And then we drove to Yosemite. We drove to Kings Canyon. Kings Canyon was about half shut down. We didn't get to see a lot there because of the snow. Man, they had pictures of the visitor center. I mean, I guess it was the visitor center on all, all that snow. I couldn't really tell. Um, then we did Sequoia, which are, you know, the trees. The trees are more than trees. The trees are like tree gods. That's what it feels like when you're standing under a tree like that. Like any moment, it could like lift up its feet and sort of walk off. And then we went to Pinnacles, kind of squeezed in Pinnacles, which was hot. It was not like Yosemite. It was like 90 degrees. But they have caves that are made from falling boulders. It's like a specific kind of cave. There were bats. It was very cool. And then we flew to Los Angeles to meet up with the Silvers family so that we could go see Chelsea Devantes's live show on Friday night. Yeah, my children were in school until the end of the day on Thursday. So Friday morning, we took an early flight out, which meant that we arrived in Los Angeles at about 9 a.m. there. Mm. So we had been up for many hours by the time we sat down to have breakfast. But that's what we did. We had breakfast. We drove to Santa Monica. We drove through Malibu. We went to Griffith Observatory so that Ellen could have a photo shoot with the Hollywood sign, which was extremely important to her. 
And then we met you all and went to Chelsea's show, which was very fun. We did encounter the problem that one encounters in L.A., which is that you think that you're 20 minutes from somewhere and you're more like an hour from the place. So we were a little late for Chelsea, but it was wonderful to see her. Yeah, there was no y'all. It was just me because Nicholas didn't get to come because we our flight was at like five. I should have known better. I knew better. I knew the second I booked that flight, this is going to be tight. And between picking up the rental car and taking the kids back to the Airbnb, he missed it, which is sad because he really, really loves Chelsea. But it was so fun to see her show. It was like Cher themed. There was a drag queen. There was a PowerPoint presentation about Cher's multiple rebrandings. It was very fun. Everyone was dressed up, which we're always Mm -hmm. here for. If you don't know Chelsea, she is the host of the Glamorous Trash podcast. She's a TV writer who's been on our show a couple of times, most recently talking about the writer's strike and just the dearest. She is so funny and Mm -hmm. warm and gracious and wonderful. And so we went and saw her again the next day. She had an event that we attended. And then we spent some time with Caroline Edwards, who is our beloved podcast agent, who is out on parental leave right now. So we got to meet her new baby and have tea at her house, which was the best. I love babies. You really shouldn't let me come visit your newborn because I might steal them. I love a newborn. Mm. I sent Caroline a screenshot of my aura heart rate and like it literally like just dipped every time I was holding the baby. It's like it's like a meditation. Ugh, I love holding a newborn. It's the best. That was fun. Uh, we went to an event with them that evening. And then the next day, Chad and I took the girls to Disneyland. I loved how you were on Instagram. You're like, because we don't value rest. Because your kids have been to Universal today. Our fa- our husbands and children went to Universal while we were hanging out with Chelsea and Caroline. That's right. That's and right. then you got up early and went to Disneyland, which, while not Disney World, is still a Disney theme park. It's not a relaxing day. Not a relaxing day. No. No, no. No, no, no. We had a very good time. And then you took the red eye back. Correct. You haven't told me how that went. Well, my thought was, you know, we'll just wear ourselves out. And drive to the airport and get on a plane and come home. And and that was true. We were very tired. It was very hot. We did DCA and Disneyland. We, like, hit everything that we could hit. It was pretty easy. I mean, it's so much smaller than yes. the parks in Florida that you can do a lot, you know, in a, in a relatively short amount of time, especially because we have recently been to the parks in Florida. So we were just focused on, like, what's new here? What's different? Or what do we really love that we want to be sure that we do? And so we got through all of that. It it was really fun. And the reason that we're willing to do it is I just think they're at the peak ages for this right now. Like, they so enjoy it. We have such a good time as a family when we do amusement parks right now. So we did it. And then we got on the red eye. And you know what? I cannot be mad because everything was on time. Like, we had no airline difficulty whatsoever. And that is a grace that I will accept. Also, though, I do not recommend the red eye. I would not do it again if I could avoid it. I'm glad that we did and got home and were able to like come home, go to bed, get some laundry done before they had to go to school the next day. But we're all still dragging a little bit. Did anybody sleep? I think I slept on and off most of the flights. Ellen came in and out. Jane and Chad, I believe, stayed awake the whole time. Yeah. The last time I took a red eye was when we met in Las Vegas and I was making it back for a funeral of a beloved church member. That may be the only time I've ever 
taken a red eye. I think Nicholas and I took a red eye like, you know, 15 years ago on the way back from Hawaii. And I remember getting sick. The problem with a red eye from the West Coast is it's not long enough. It's not like when you fly right. to Europe and you have seven to nine hours to sleep. It's just not long enough. So when I flew back from Vegas and I like got the big seat on JetBlue or whatever, and it was still not, I slept, but it's still like three hours. It's not long enough. It's like four, maybe four hours between takeoff and landing. It's just not long. It's not enough time. I totally agree. I would do it again if it were just me and Chad. I would not ask the kids to do that again. I think it was way too much for the kids. The the biggest problem for me is that the last ride we rode before we left Disneyland was Matador, the, the oldest roller coaster. And if you've not done this ride, it's a bobsled going around a mountain, okay? And you oh, yeah. get in the bobsled and your body is positioned as though you're going to have a pap smear, okay? That's how you're <laughs> sitting for the whole ride. And it's an old coaster and it is jolty like it just beats your joints up yeah and so we get off that after this day of lots and lots of walking in the heat then we get in the car and drive to LAX and then on the plane and so my body has just felt crunchy since we got home yeah that's rough we just took a 3 p.m flight I I highly recommend that it was much better um California treated us so incredibly kindly you know I've, I've like kind of come around to Remembering and realizing that, you know, I spent like a fourth of my childhood in California. And so it is like not my home state, but my like home away from home state. And I really just soaked up the love and affection I have for the state of California on this trip. I'm getting a little choked up. And it might be because, you know, my dad is moving from California to Kentucky. And so there's a lot tied up there. But I was just like, man, this is such a beautiful, beautiful place that holds so many. I mean, it has like eight dang national parks. Like it's just, it's an incredible state. And it's like every other state that becomes sort of a political stereotype. You miss so much when you treat it like that. And, you know, the Californians were so happy I was there and they were in my DMs and they love this place. And I felt the love and we just, we had a really, really wonderful time in California. Yeah. Every state has its challenges. But for all those challenges, California is visually stunning, naturally mm. spectacular. The people are extremely friendly. And I just think it I think it is a good time. And I'm also glad to be home. And really, even Los Angeles in the traffic, like we had a good debate about whose food scene is better, New York and LA. Hit us up in the comments. I want to hear y'all's thoughts on that. Um, I have some thoughts on that. I won't share right now just to, so I don't explode this conversation as we're trying to wrap it up. But even the traffic in LA, as long as you don't try to go anywhere at nighttime. <laughs> Or you find some other way to get there and get back. It's really not so bad. Like when we were driving, I drove most of the time we were there. And again, during the day, it was fun. I think the most difficult thing about the trip was that the Hamas attack occurred while we were there and just trying to Ooh. hold all those pieces at one time True. and be in touch with the people that we needed to be in touch with and think through what our obligations to this community were. That is all I still feel with my crunchiness in my body, too. So I'm uh, grateful that the weekend is coming up, and I hope that all of you are able to find some ease and support over the weekend as well. Thank you so much for being here. We'll be back in your ears on Tuesday. Just a quick reminder that we will be in Paducah next week, and there are still a few tickets available for the live show on Saturday night, October 21st. So if you've been on the fence, come off the fence and come meet us in Paducah. It's going to be so much fun. Everybody have the best weekend available to you. Hey. 
Pantsu Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Pinton is our director of community engagement. Xander Singh is the composer of our theme music with inspiration from original work by Dante Lima. Our show is listener supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. Catherine Vollmer. Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Linda Daniel. Emily Neasley. The Pettins! Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Amy Whited. Emily Helen Olson. Lee Shea McDonough. Morgan McHugh. Jen Ross. Sabrina Drago. Becca Dorval. Christina Quartararo. Jeff Davis, Joshua Allen, Melinda Johnston, Michelle Wood, Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller.